Okay, so last week we were speaking about DAS mm -hmm. and kind of defining DAS as knowledge and particularly um, what kind of knowledge and it's specifically connection, um, knowledge that connects. And we spoke about a principle that the order of these brachos, whichever one comes first, tells you that it, it actually comes first before the brachos that come after it. Um, the, word, the term that Abu Darham used was me'ullah, which means like elevated, like a higher level than the ones that follow, which is not to put down the ones that follow. It's telling us we're talking about very lofty things. And that das is the very first thing we ask for which tells us that this is so incredibly important. And we talked about the idea that Das, the Shla, talked about this Das as really our task, this, this effort to understand, not to understand, but to have a connection, the intimacy with God, and to connect his, his name, so to speak, to express godliness into the world. And Yirmiyahu, who gave over the prophecy that Hashem says, don't praise yourself for your chachma and your gvura and your, and your wealth. The thing that I really am looking for, the thing that I care about most in a person, is not how successful they've been physically or financially or academically. What I care about is whether the person has made the effort to know me. That's the das. Haskel v'yadoa osi. Haskel, be enlightened and know me. That's really success in this world. Okay, so I have one more piece that I'd like to add to that and then go on to today's topic. So what I wanted to just add to this piece of the das and das as the the first thing we ask for, that everything else is dependent upon that. Before we can go forward, the first thing is to say, Hashem, please give me the knowledge. Help me to know what your will is and how I can fulfill it. Um, is a Ramban that we've seen before. This is the Ramban at the end of Parshas Bo. Um, it's with regard to tefillin, but it's with regard to everything. So first he talks, about, it's, it, at the end of Parshas Bo, there's a mention of the mitzvah of tefillin, even though the Torah hasn't been given yet. So he speaks about that, and then he says, and, and we've talked about this before, but this time I want to focus on a different aspect, a different point in this Ramban that I'm not sure jumped out as much um, when, I, when I've read it in the past, we were focused on a different element of it. In the past, we focused on the statement of the Ramban that through the, through the large miracles and famous miracles, a person can come to recognize the small miracles. We had that part. We had the part about how in performing a mitzvah, um, a person is declaring that Hashem is God and is, is the one that he wishes to serve. We've talked about um, where he begins over here, and that's, we've talked about this also in terms of how doing the mitzvos 
is a statement against Avodah Zarah. Not only Avodah Zarah in the sense of idol worship, but Avodah Zarah as in anything that is a denial of God in the world, or an acknowledgement of something other than him, which is a denial in another way. Okay? But there's a link between those, and I think I really kind of skimmed over that in the past because it didn't jump out at me. So he, st- he, he starts this section of his essay here, his commentary, by saying, Va'ata omer bitam mitzvos rabos. He says, now I'm going to tell you a, a principle that underlies the reason, uh, reason's a very bad word, a principle underlying many mitzvos. Since the days of Enosh, which might, now that I think about it, explain something about this bracha, right? Because the bracha that we're on now is You gave to Adam das, and you teach to Enosh, which is also means mankind, right? But it's not the most common term, especially in davening. Just not too common, bina. So maybe we'll maybe we'll get some understanding about that. I don't know. Just occurs to me now. Okay, since the days of Enosh, hechelu hadeos lehishtabesh beemuna. People's ideas, hadeos, their knowledge. Okay, this is the das we're talking about. So deos over here. I think I normally would have translated it as opinions, but that's not really what it means here. People's knowledge, lehishtabit, became their knowledge of emuna, their knowledge of how to trust in God and what that means, became corrupted. So there was knowledge that we have that Adam had, not only because he ate from a tree of knowledge, there was knowledge he had of him of himself as having been created. Right? He really came to life as an adult. So he had awareness of having been created as a human. And he had direct communication with Hashem. So there was a knowledge of God. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, he lived quite a long time, which means that there were several generations after him who still had the first man living during their lifetimes which is quite a concept, right? Okay. But from the days of Enosh, the knowledge of God began to become corrupted. And it started, I don't know if he describes it. No, he doesn't describe it here. There's another Ramban where he talks about the process of that corruption, meaning how it started in a small way and then it propagated. So once a small error came into the, so to speak, the philosophy of how people approached God, right? First, people thinking, well, I, I, who am I to approach God? Therefore, I will approach one of his smaller princes, right? Let me go through someone else because I don't feel justified, which became, of course, that was the beginning of worshiping stars and moon and sun, right? Natural forces. That's wrong, not only is that forbidden, but they have no power of their own. You can't ask the sun to to say, could you please talk to God for me? Right? Even as a go-between. People can speak to God directly, but there's no concept that they have any power of their own to do anything, let alone 
to ask a favor for you. Okay, but that's where it all started. And from there, it became full-fledged idol worship and complete denial of God. Okay, but I don't think he explains it in that detail in this particular passage. So how did it become corrupted from the days of Enosh? Mehem kofrim be'ikar. Some, now he's going to give us the categories of heresy. Some denied the fundamental. The Omrim, what did those people say? Ki ha'olam kadmon. The world has always existed. That was popular scientific belief when I was a little girl, <laughs> that the world had always existed. The Big Bang Theory had come out, but it was not widely, widely propagated yet. Yeah, I, I mean, people talked about that when I was, I was little. I was taught about the Big Bang Theory in third grade. As a theory, right? This yeah, was like, no? Because <laughs> I, I remember they talked about it when I was little. I remember hearing about it on TV and in school, but it was like the new thing. It was not, pe people were being told about this because it wasn't what had been thought until then. You know, it was, I think probably the theory itself dated back 10 years, but till it got from whoever first started with it in the sort of elite scientific circles and then it get, till it gets out into the public knowledge. I think was around the time I was probably five, mm -hmm. and that was changing over, okay? So there were those who said, apparently this has been going on a while, ki ha'olam kadmon, that the world always existed. Kachashu ba'ashem, that's a denial of God as the creator. V'yomru lohu, so they said there's, there's no creator. The world has always been there. It's infinite, okay? Umehem, there were others, Machachishim Biyadiyaso Hapratis, who didn't deny that there was a God who created the world, but denied that he had specific and individual knowledge of what happens in the world. Amruecha Yeda Kel Biyesh they said, How is that possible? Like, there's too much going on. Anyway, if there's a big God who's able to create the world, what would he care about all these little people down here? Okay, I heard somebody say, it's a scary thing to remember, I'm sure I told you this story, I heard somebody say, why would God care what I put into my pot? That's essentially the same thing, right? Why would God care, or he doesn't care, or he couldn't possibly notice me in all the little other things, going, whatever it is. That's a denial of God's um, individual and detailed knowledge of the world. Umehem, there were others, Shiyodu who acknowledged that there is a God and that he could know all the details in the world, but they deny that he's paying attention. I guess that's the why would God care, right? They, not that he couldn't, but he doesn't. They deny the, the attention. And they portray that people are like sardines, <laughs> right? They travel in these enormous, you know, gu I think I've used the word guppies before, right? Huge, huge schools of fish. Does anybody pay attention to which fish is which and what's going on in their life? No, right? People, we wouldn't care. It looks all the same. <laughs> that God maybe created the world and could know what's going on, but he's not paying attention to all these little people. The the reason they say that is because then the implication is you don't have to worry about reward and punishment. 
Ve'amru, those people are saying, like the Pasuk, Azav Hashem Esa'aretz, God has abandoned the earth. Okay, that's the, what they're saying, God created it and then went away, or I don't know, there are these, these cultures that, you know, the world was created on, I don't know, the back of a turtle, or rolled off of some creature, or was accidentally created in a fight between two gods of a pantheon, right? So those gods are not paying attention to whatever happened behind them. That's just where it is. The kasher elokim. So when God the Lord desired ba'eda obayachid, desired a relationship with a community or with an individual, v'yasa imahem mofes b'shinui minhago shel olam, he would then make a miracle and change something in the natural order of the world. Vitivo. And in this way, it makes clear to everybody the error of those other philosophies. These other ways of thinking are wrong, and that's quickly proved by God by a quick twist or shake-up of the system. It erases all of those. Because a wondrous miracle, it demonstrates that the world has a master, Mechadsho, who can act creatively in it, the Yodea, who knows what's going on, Umashkiach, and supervises it, is paying attention to what's going on, the Yachol, and is able, he is omnipotent. The Kasher Nigzar and when he announces, when this miracle is announced in advance, Mipi Novi, by a prophet, Isbar Mimenu, that furthermore, demonstrates clearly that prophecy can be true and that man communicates with people. So uh, God, I'm sorry, God communicates with people and reveals his secrets to his servants, who are prophets. And this provides a support really for all of the Torah. Not that we believe, now the Rambam talks very strongly about not, we don't believe in these because of miracles. However, when God does a miracle, it makes it clear that these other ways of thinking are wrong, and that sets somebody straight, and then they're able to, to pay attention to the reality. It sort of resets and reframes how you see the world and how you understand God. So the Pasuk tells us about the miracles. Leman teda, in order that you should know, ki ani Hashem that I am God in the midst of the earth. God is saying, I'm doing these miracles in Egypt in order to demonstrate that I am supervising the world. And he has not abandoned the earth to whatever its fate will be, the way that some people are claiming. The Amar, and the Pasuk further says, in order that you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him. He built it. It belongs to him, Shabarama Me'ayin, because he created it out of nothing. So you, you notice that in all of these, the purpose of the miracles is in order that teda, you'll know, teda is the future form, right, of das, knowledge. The Amar, Bavor teda, and it also says, in order that you should know, ki ein kamoni bechol ha'aretz, there is none like me in all the earth. Lehoros, to demonstrate, al yecholos, 
on the omnipotence. Shehu shalit bakol, that he dominates everything. Ein ma'akev biyado, nothing can... Nothing can stop him. Nothing can prevent him from doing what he wishes. Because the Egyptians denied all these things. And so Hashem says, I'm going to do these miracles and nobody will need to prove anything else to you, Egyptians. Then you will know. Right? We talk about Das as knowing intimately, knowing through experience. Right? You're going to know. They doubted and they denied all of these things. So these great big miracles become faithful testimony to the role of God and his involvement in the world. But Hashem does not do miracles constantly so that every wicked or person or denier can say, oh, well, if you do a miracle for me, then I'll, you know, no. So the Torah commands us that we need to remember what we have seen and we need to tell it over again and repeat it to our children and to their children for all generations. And this is so very important. So we have commandments about not eating chametz on Pesach and not leaving over anything from the Korban Pesach and telling over the story of Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim on Pesach so that we will not forget everything that we saw and everything that we learned through the signs and wonders. And we will tie it, the connection here is to the tefillin, we'll tie it as a sign um, on our heads and on our arms and write it down on the doorways of our homes in the mezuzahs and we will speak about it in the morning and the evening, talk about it with our children constantly. Why? Leman tizkor, in order that you should remember, as Yom Tzeischa Me'eretz Mitzrayim, the day you left Egypt, Ko all the days of your lives, we make a sukkah, every year. All of this are one of the primary things underlying it is a constant reminder and a constant education for us and our children about those miracles and what that means in terms of reminding ourselves that there is a God and he created the world and he runs it and he cares about it. He is able to do what he wants in the world and does. And there are many other mitzvahs and, and in every time a person performs a mitzvah, he is then doing his share, so to speak, to demonstrate that truth. So every, okay, so that's, we've talked about this before. And now I'm skipping a bit. Well, lefichach amru, and therefore Chazal have told us, have zahir kala, this is from Avos, kivachamura. You should be just as careful about what appears to be a light mitzvah as a very serious mitzvah. You shouldn't have a sense, oh, this is just a small thing, it doesn't matter. Okay, so he's saying, why is that? Because each thing, no matter how big or how small it seems to you, or how difficult or how easy it feels to you, is a demonstration of saying that there is a God, and he created the world, and he speaks to human beings, and he cares about what happens to us. So that's why Chazal told us this, the light mitzvot, like the what appear to be light and what appear to be severe, shekulan chamudos vechavivos meod, because all the mitzvos are very cherished and beloved. Shebechosha, because at every moment, adamode bahen leelokav, a person is able to acknowledge and give thanks by means of the mitzvos to God. His God. The kavanas kol mitzvos, 
So the intention of all mitzvos, okay, even if we don't know why did Hashem say we should do this mitzvah or why did Hashem say we should do that mitzvah, one thing we do know is that one reason inside of every mitzvah, is that we should trust in God and acknowledge and thank him for creating us. That is a common theme under all mitzvos. Vehi kavonos hayitzira. This is, in fact, the underlying reason for all of creation. This is the part that I think had not adequately struck me in the past. She'ein lanu tam acher harishona. We have no other reason for the initial creation of the world at all. This, yeah, he's saying, this is underlying all mitzvahs. Now, if mitzvahs are the way that we serve God, then the whole purpose of people being created is this. There's other proofs for it, okay? But this is the reasoning in the order he's bringing it, which is the whole reason for all of creation to be there so that people could be created, so that people could recognize that Hashem has created them and praise Him and thank Him for it. And God on high, this is His only desire for this lower world. That man should know. It's all das. Every single thing in this Ramban is about das. That man should know and once he knows it, he should speak about it. He should acknowledge it, or he should give thanks. Right? Yode can mean either to acknowledge, like vidui, right, to confess I'm wrong, which always has to be spoken, or lehodos to give thanks. And those are those are actually the same idea in Hebrew. Who to God who has created him. Okay, I'm going to stop here. There's more here, and we've talked about it elsewhere, but I just, like, okay, it, it took such a new meaning here on so many levels. So one example is what we talked about last week. This is really the end of last week's year, right? Where Hashem says, Ki'im bazos yishalel ha'mishalel. Only with this should a person... Praise himself, you know, flatter himself, so to speak. This is, this is success. Here's how a person should define that he has been successful. Haskel v'yadoa osi. Get knowledge and know me. Ki ani Hashem ose chesed u'mishpat u'tzdaka ba'aretz. That I am God who does chesed and justice and justice, uh, judgment and justice in the land. Ki ve'elech ofatzdi ne'um Hashem. This is what I want, says God. Pretty sure that's the source of that Ramban. Chefetz, that was the word he used. Could be there's other sources similar that, that would be expected, right? That's similar to what the Shlot told us. He was quoting that Pasuk, right? That this is, this is our job. This is the true knowledge, is knowledge of God. And that's what we're here for. In fact, Rashi told us that in Bracious. Just in the same way, you know, we, we could read the same Rashi. We've certainly read it 20 times together, right? 
And every time you find a new layer inside of it, we're going to come back to this pasuk, I hope, later today. God created man. By Yitzhar Hashem Elokim Esa Adam. God created the formed the man Afar Min Hadama, dust of the earth, Vayipach Ba'apav Nishmas Chayim, and blew into his nostrils a living Nishama, Vayihadam Lenefesh Chaya, and man became a very living creature. And Rashi says, we just talked about this recently again, also animals have some kind of Nefesh that's alive, right? They have a living soul. They don't have a Nishama, they have a living soul. But man is being described as a very living creature, like exceptionally alive more so than the other animals. So what is it that makes his life somehow even more, I guess the old-fashioned word would be vital, not as in critical, but as most, more alive, like having more vitality? What is it that ma makes man more vital than other creatures? Shenetosef bo, dea vidibur. There was added to him with that neshama, dea vidibur. Capacity for das, and capacity to speak about it. That is, to know God and then to thank him for it or acknowledge him for it. That is, <laughs> the Ramban was not kidding. That is the only reason we're given in the Torah that's hinted to us as to what we're here for. <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about. So, to, to, to have knowledge of him and then to speak about it. So we're doing one and the same in this bracha. You give us, you grace us with knowledge. Right? Please give us more. This, there's, this just builds on to this idea. Why is this the first of all the bakashos? It's the first of all the bakashos because it's what we're here for. That's what our life is about. Okay. Now, this will get like a little bit We'll ratchet down the intensity, although it's still very exciting. This is the first of the bakashos. So, there, but there are thirteen of them. Okay, so there are, there are officially there were eighteen brachos in Shemona Esrei, three praise, twelve requests bakashos, and three of gratitude. Now, we have an extra one in the bakashos. So now we have three and 13 and three, which makes 19 brachos in Shemona Esrei. And there are 13 bakashos. I got to use this wonderful book from Mrs. Lieber about the number 13. This was a lot of fun. Could have gone almost anywhere with it, really, that you wanted to, with a book like that. Okay. But we'll try and focus it a little. All right, so Das, then, is the first of 13, of a set of 13. So what I wanted to talk about today was why are there 13 bakashos? And hopefully I'll even manage to talk about why the, why the first of those would be das. We'll see if I manage that. All right, so in Parsha's Truma, Counted them for myself. Hello. 
Parshas Truma. Hashem says, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Jewish people and accept on my behalf Truma, voluntary gifts, from every single person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you should accept my truma. And this is the truma which you should accept from them. Okay, I'll use my fingers here. Zahav, gold, vachesef, and silver. Unechoshes, copper. Usecheles, and blue, sky blue wool. Vaargaman, and purple wool. And tola ashani, and red wool. Vesheish izim, um, the sheish, sorry, and linen, the izim, and goat wool, the oros elim, and skins of rams, madomim, that are dyed red. I don't think that one counts separately. We'll find out. The oros tachashim, and skins of tachash animal, that was 10. And atze shitim is shitim wood, shemen la maor, um, oil for lighting. Besamim la shemen hamishcha uluktoras asamim, and oil for the shemen hamish. Uh, sorry, and spices for the shemen hamishcha and the ktoras, which is thirteen. This is what you should accept from them. Okay. So the midrash says over there, thirteen materials for building the mishkan. This corresponds to thirteen miracles going out of Mitzrayim. I did not have a chance to go back to the Midrash to see if it lists them. I don't know if it enumerates what the 13 miracles were. I don't know. It seems like there were a lot more than 13 miracles, but I suppose they're categories or something. Okay. The Maharal says 13 miracles, sorry, 13 materials donated to build the Mishkan. This corresponds to 13 tribes. Because there are 12 tribes, but, but Yosef is divided into two tribes, Menashe and Ephraim. So there are actually 13 tribes. So normally, depending on what you're counting, you might count Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zavul, and Dan, Naftali, God, Asher, Yosef, and Benjamin. But if you're counting, let's say, what portions they get in Israel, then you count Reuven, Shimon, and you skip Levi. Right? And then it's Yehuda, Yisachar, Zavulun. Dan, Naftali, God, Asher, Menashe, Ephraim, and Benjamin. Okay, so there are 13 tribes, and depending on what it is you're counting, is which, which, which 12 plus 1 is it? Okay, so the Maharal says there are 13 tribes. 13 tribes is, of course, the Gematria Echad. Remember that because we had Shema Yisrael Hashem, Okeinu Hashem Echad, which is 13, which is also Ahava, love, right? Okay, which means that the 13 tribes are a reflection of Echad. So I was not able to find the source of this Maharal, um, but I would love to see it inside. <laughs> I believe that what he's saying over here is this, that there's the word Echad, which is one. There's God's oneness. But the way that God's oneness is expressed, we have Avraham, we have Yitzchak, we have Yaakov, and then that gets refracted into 13 colors of a spectrum, so to speak, which when blended together, when united, are one. You have a oneness. You have a Jewish people, Yisrael, right? Chadhu. Yisrael is one. There's this one people called the Jewish people, 
But there are 13 colors in that rainbow. Which you can, you can put it through a prism and see 13 separate colors. You can put it back through the prism, you'll see one wholeness. So he talks about then, by looking at the model, so to speak, of the Jewish people divided into 13 tribes and yet being one people whose role is to serve Hashem in 13 different ways that meld together to be one, that what we get from that then is the meaning of the number 13. 13 then is a way of creating a space for one. 13 is in the physical expression of one because one doesn't, isn't part of the physical world per se. 13 is when you want to build a space and therefore the Mishkan, which is going to be a, let's call it a dwelling place for the Shechina, will be built from 13 kinds of materials, 13 contributions. By putting together 13, you can create a space of oneness, even in the physical world, where Hashem, who is one, shouldn't be, because one is infinite, one is undividable, one is all of these things that are not a part of the physical world. To, it's interesting, there's this concept of Hashem being mitzamsim himself to make space for the physical world. But it seems that when we want to make space for Hashem in this world, what we have to do is gather in the 13. And so the word echad itself has a gematria of 13, not one. <laughs> right? The word one is made of letters that add up to 13 because 13 is how you create a space for one in this world. That's what sort of a meaning of the number 13. Unity constructed of smaller parts. And we have a similar idea with 10 and 1. So I can't explain that except that it's possible that the, the 10 is top down and the 13 is bottom up. Rabbi left. Do I have a copy of this book right here? Be nice if I did. Yeah. Okay. Rabbi left says the Geula is alluded to in the names of the tribes. This is quoting a Medrash and Shmos. So how is the Geula alluded to in the names of the tribes? I believe he's referring to when Yaakov wanted to reveal the end to his children, and then the Shechina left him. Right? Bikesh Yaakov Legalos Esaketz, he wanted to reveal when the end of the Galos would be. They were at the beginning. And then he couldn't, so he was afraid there was something wrong, that there was an imperfection in these 13 children, right, standing there. There was a piece missing. The unity was broken. And they said, and he said, there's no Kates in you. There's, I can't tell you about the end, because those letters of end, Kates, Kuf, and Sadik are missing. And they said, if you look at us, the letters Ches and Tess are missing, Chet. There's nothing missing. There's no sin. There's no... Right, is actually something misplaced. Nothing's off here. So there's a hint to the Geula itself in the names of, the, of these tribes. Because in working together, in each one working in its way, according to his qualities, that brings the world to its goal, which is the redemption. In Klal Yisrael, as a set of 13 different tribes with different qualities but all working towards that unified for the sake of God creates a wholeness and a space for that oneness in the world.
Rav Hirsch says earlier on Shemona Esrei, that we had a hint at the very beginning, right? With the beginning of Shemona Esrei, Umevi goel livnei v'neihem lema'an shemo be'ahava. So it's, Hashem is, this is the bracha of Avraham, but it mentions Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and then says, Hashem brings a redeemer to their children's children, which would be the tribes, not Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, lema'an shemo be'ahava, for the sake of his name with love. And remember, ahava is echad, mm-hmm. right? That's Hashem's name, echad, one. And that is to the tribes, to the grandchildren. So here's what Rav Hirsch says over there. The nature of, the loving pro- of God's loving providence is such that our own lives and our own welfare, as well as those of even our remotest descendants, are assured because of the good deeds of our ancestors and theirs. It is as the sons of their fathers that they bear his name, that they have a portion in his infinite love, and that they may hopefully await the Redeemer to be sent by him. And then later, he, I was going to say expands, but it's only one sentence, so it's not exactly an expansion, but he adds to that, oi, gesundheit. Hang on one second. He adds this point. He says, the avos are the body, the shvatim are the individual limbs. That's, it's a different visual for this idea. In other words, there's a oneness that in the tribes is divided into separate parts. Okay, You can imagine how he says that because we talked about earlier right? the idea that this part of the bakashos, right? the, the, the requests, are 13, and that corresponds to the part of, of the bringing of the korban tamid, of the dividing it up into the different limbs and organs. Okay? It's taking the unity of the whole, of the korban, the unity of the life, right? The dedication of my whole life to God that's represented by the sprinkling of the blood, which is the first three brachos, and now breaking it down into its separate parts. So... What comprises my life that I'm saying I'm going to give? What are the different, what are my different qualities? What are the different mitzvahs? What are the different roles that I play in my life? What do I mean to different people in my life? How am I going to actually do it? Breaking it down into those steps. That's the tribes. That's the 13. That's 13 materials to build a mishkan. It's one mishkan. You create a whole out of, when you create a whole and that whole is meant to be a fitting, uh, the term the Torah uses is a dwelling place for the Shekhinah. Okay, what does that mean is another thing. But a fitting vehicle to bring godliness into the world, that's the number 13. So here, the Shvatim are sort of the individual limbs that form that body of Israel. There are 13 of them.
Okay, so now we get to the book all about the number 13. And there were a bunch of nice points. There's one that I really want to focus on, but there were a bunch of really beautiful different ideas about 13 and davening that are brought in this safer on 13. Yeah. Okay. So one is, <clears throat> he says that Chazal say it. The, the quote he brings is from the Magin Avram, which is not Chazal, that there are, that when we talk about prayer, they'll say there are 12 gates to heaven corresponding to the 12 Shvatim. Right? Have you heard this idea? Sometimes when people will say, why, how come davening is basically the same for everyone and yet there are slightly different nusachs for different communities? Mm -hmm. So that's often where you'll hear somebody mention this idea that there are 12 gates to heaven. Um, and the gate of tears. The Baal Hatai, right, and the gate of tears is always open. Yeah, okay, never locked. Okay. The Baal Hatanya quotes the Magid of, of Mezrich as saying there's also a 13th gate that includes them all. Okay, so I just want to point out, we have seen this, we saw this idea, I'm trying to remember where we originally saw it, this idea of the kolel in Gematria, mm -hmm. um, which when you, when I, I've heard about it in different places and it was, it's like one of these disturbing Gematria ideas. The idea is that you could have a number, let's say 12, Okay, and it could be equivalent to 13 because there's 12 and then you add sort of the whole of it and now you say in some ways, in some ways it's the same as 13. Okay, that's like a little weird, right? Like 436 is kind of the same as 437 because it's just the one off, you can adjust for the one. It's sort of like you're rounding it or something. It doesn't, it's not a satisfying thing. But then we learn, and I'm just trying to remember what the context was we learned this, but it was a very helpful understanding, which was, that a whole that is created of different parts, there is a, a whole identity that is created if it's not, you know, you can add like one piece of Lego and then another piece and another piece and you can be following a pattern. But there's a point at which you add the last piece according to this pattern, you know, they come with the little books of how to build a house or a bear or whatever. And now you have a bear. So there is a wholeness of the identity that is something above and beyond the, what you get from adding up the separate parts. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts would be how we would say that. Okay, That is the idea of a kolel. It's not that you just say, oh, numbers are the same as long as they're pretty close. That's not what it means. What it means is if the number you're using is expressing something that when made up of those parts becomes a new whole that is greater than the sum of the parts, then we would say that you would add one more, like you have 49, and then you have 50, right? Shavuos is on the 50th day, because the number 50 specifically is associated, right? 50 and 108 is also like that, right? There's certain numbers that when you get to them, the whole that you have, the, the sum that you've come to is greater than the numbers you've added up. 50 is a number like that. When you add up seven sevens, the next day you have something much greater. You haven't just gone in a cycle around and around, right? Seven is cycles. You haven't just gotten back to where you were. You're somewhere new. You've a, you, you have come back around full circle, but where you came back to is not where you were before. And that is expressed with the adding of the one. 49 is not equal to 50. But if you can create a full 49 through seven sevens, 
where you get to through seven sevens is not necessarily 49. Where you get to might be 50. You get to somewhere that is one more beyond that, something beyond what you could have achieved through just adding up the bits. And that's the idea of the colo. So the idea that there are, there's 12 gates and that someone would come along and say there's 12 gates, but there's really a 13th that sort of sums them all up is not actually such a bizarre statement because the 12 is the whole tribes of Israel. There's a kind of 13th that completes that, which in fact is what we see with the tribes. There is a kind of a 13th that completes that. Similarly, this idea that Hashem opens up 13 windows for prayer to come through. This is the same basic idea of the 12 gates. 13 windows for prayer to come through corresponding to 12 tribes and Yaakov. Okay, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's exactly, it's 12 plus 1, but where the 1 is the whole. So Yaakov is this whole. And Yaakov is, in fact, associated with the number 13 very strongly in many ways because out from him come these 12 or 13 tribes. There's a wholeness that's created in Yaakov, but that's expressed out from him as 13 separate parts. Why wouldn't he be referred to as, as Israel? Because that's the Oh, that's wholeness. interesting. I don't know. This, in this quote, I wouldn't read too much into that. Okay. In this particular quote, I wouldn't read too much into whether it was Yaakov. It's, it's, it's an achron. It's a late... I, I wouldn't read too much into it. <laughs> sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. I wouldn't worry about it over here. Like, I don't know that you could assume that the person who wrote that, this is, this is a late Hasidic sitter, that he was Dafka being careful with using that name or not. Okay. So with regard to the number 13 and prayer, that was just sort of an introduction. Oh. We have the 13... Blessings of Bakasha, of requests in Shemona Esrei. Then he quotes the Toldos Aaron, also a Hasidish Rebbe. There are three at the beginning, three brachos at the end. And the word tefillah means connection. So this we learned like a really, really long time ago, right? One of the roots, because what's the root of the word tefillah? One of them is pisil or patil. Like hakanaf patil tchelis, like a strand of light blue on the tzitzis, right? It's like um, it's a piece of string, but it's not a, a simple piece of string. It's where you like a wick, where there's been twisted together several threads, and they form together one strand. That wasn't the right word, strand. One string made out of twisted together several smaller strands. Okay, that's the word seal. It's used, it means wick. Okay. Which means that the word tefillah is a word of his kashras, of connecting together. So the tefillah connects, connects everything to its creator. And he says one way we can think about that is there are the three brachos on each end and the 13 requests in the middle that are, that are this wholeness, this bonding togetherness, hinting to, as the Sfasemis, also a Hasidish rabbi, but I think perhaps in a different category than some of the others quoted here. The Sfasemis said that this is a hint, the 13 requests in Shemona Esrei hint to the 13 gifts contributed to the Mishkan. They are all the things which a person requires in the world, 
and which a person needs to elevate up to their roots. So the Svasemes is then, he, he's done something here with these gifts for the Mishkan. Mm -hmm. He's saying what the gifts of the Mishkan represent are 13 critical elements in some way. I don't know in what way. Which a person needs to have, but he needs to have them in order to be able to elevate them. That's not such a new idea to us, right? We've heard that before. That everything is from your hand, God. And from your hand, we receive in order to give to you. What we give to you is what we just took out of your hand. It's all from you, and we're giving it to you. Okay? All the 13 things we're asking for in Shemona Esrei are fundamental needs that we have. We really need them. That's why we're asking for them. But what does it mean that we really need them? Our need for them really is to be able to elevate them. That's the biggest need we have from everything in the world is to have it in order to use it for God. That elevates it, right? We don't believe in not having. We believe in having and then using it properly. That's the reason for having it. That's the model of that is the Mishkan. All this wealth that we were given, and now we have it to contribute to build a Mishkan. That's really what our whole lives can be like. All the blessing that we request and we're given, and build a Mishkan out of it with our lives. And this is the manner in which our prayers were established and formulated. Shetzarech lihios ratzon ha'adam, that it is necessary for a person's desire, for his will to be to elevate everything that he's asking for so that it is mentionable before God. By virtue of the fact that he elevates everything he desires towards God, both by asking Hashem for it and by wanting it in order to serve Hashem with it, through means of this, he then merits to, to be attached to God on high. It is through this process, we talked about it before, the process of need, but also, and requesting from Hashem our needs. But here he's added the element of why we're requesting these needs understanding it in terms of our service of Hashem. And through this, we are connected to him. And this is this idea of tefillah as a strand made of many parts and connecting us. Then he quotes the Sefer Kad HaKemach. So we're going sort of backwards in time, which is not the usual way. The Sefer Kad HaKemach of Rabbeinu Bachya. Amazing Sefer. On tefillah. Unfortunately, at the moment, I only have a copy in English. So I didn't. Go back, I just took his quote for it. It says, There were originally 12 brachos in Shemona Esrei, and now there are 13 brachos in Shemona Esrei. This hints to the fact that all that is good in the world and what fills it, whatever is in the world, whatever is good, whatever fills it, 
whether it's something that we need or something that needs to be repaired, okay, which is kind of an interesting way of saying it. So Rabbeinu Bachya says, it's 13. Everything we need in the world is 13, can be broken down into a group of 13 categories. Why? Because when Moshe asked Hashem, please explain to me how you relate to the world, hareni nakvodecha, I don't understand perfectly, Moshe says, how what you do in the world fully expresses your glory. Why did he not understand that perfectly? Well, God said, because you can't during your lifetime. But Okay, so that's the why. But what, what was missing for him was sometimes a wicked person appears to thrive. Sometimes a righteous person appears to suffer. How does that glorify Hashem in the world? Doesn't that undermine mm-hmm. the glory of Hashem? Doesn't that undermine the message that Hashem is the one who creates it all and is watching it all? That's what Moshe was asking, right? That's what Chazal say. That's what he asked. Sadik Viralo Rasha Vitovlo. That was his question. Please show me your glory. Show me how this glorifies you. And Hashem told him, 13, what we call the 13 Midos HaRachamim. 13, they're all Rachamim, but it comes in 13 different Midos. That was Hashem's answer to him. Okay? In other words, Hashem said, everything we need in the world can be put into one of 13 different ways that Hashem has sent it into the world. One is known as Hashem. One is known as Hashem. Kale, Rachel, Bechan. I mean, we're going, this is Elul. We're, we're going to go into heavy-duty 13 Midos time. <laughs> right? This is really like, it's almost slichos. This comes up a lot. That's the pattern of 13. 13 is what it looks like when Hashem's glory enters the world the space it enters is a space that is formed with 13 facets. And they look different. <laughs> some look like kale, some look like rachum, some look like chanun, some look like erechapayim, some look like holding a punishment unto the fourth generation. <laughs> right? No say avon vafesha. Like, there's all these different parts to it. Some are repair, some are blessing. Really, it's all rachamim. There are yud gimel midos rachamim. So the bakashos of Shmona Esrei are a reflection of that 13-ness, the 13 ways that Hashem is telling us we should recognize that he interacts with us in the world. The alecha, the Svasema says, it is upon you, lehispalel, to pray, laalos, Ha'alus yis'ale ha'mashpia ko'ach b'midos. I don't know exactly what he means. I don't think, I think there's also, oh, okay. I'll try and look it up. That our prayers themselves are a reflection 
of the idea that everything that we're asking for should be an elevation so that it becomes a part of that process of Hashem's hashpa that he is giving bracha into the world, and these are the ways that he demonstrates his covet into the world through all these ways, and that that's really what we're asking for in all the things we're asking, is to be a part of that channel, a part of that bracha. This is, um, it's later than I expected. So I'm going to stop here, because the next paragraph, I have some additional notes that go with it, which is really on this topic. So that's really what we're getting to is this aspect of the 13, how that is to build a oneness or a space for oneness, and what that means to our actual davening. That's, Mirza Hashem will continue next week with that. Which means I have to move my... We should elevate what we're asking for. Right. It's understanding that what, what we're asking for, why are we asking for it? Because you see, at a lower level, I, I'm on a bicycle. I'm on a, right. <laughs> and we're trying to... We're trying to elevate ourselves even beyond that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.